2. We'll finish up the chapter tonight. We are in a section on true wisdom from verses 6 through 16. We've been considering leading into this man's wisdom up against God's wisdom. As Paul makes out the case here, God has chosen to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise of the world, and that's in his great wisdom. We understand that absolute truth and real wisdom is the word of God. But we also come to know through this passage how we understand the Word of God. It was revealed and inspired by the Holy Spirit, but then illuminated to our hearts and our minds through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so as Paul talks about true wisdom here, we've used the headings of the wisdom of God by the Holy Spirit. And tonight we're going to close this out on for the spiritual. So the wisdom of God by the Holy Spirit, for the spiritual. So I'd like for us to read from verse number 1 and take in all of these verses, and then we'll focus in on verses 13 through 16. So read along with me as I read aloud. Paul writes, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yes, the deep things of God, For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. And here is our text. Which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, bless this time, we ask in your word with the church that we may be built up to fulfill the work of ministry that you've called us into thank you for salvation thank you that you've made us just as if we had never sinned thank you for sanctification that daily you conform us to the image of your son thank you for the future hope of glorification and thank you for the knowledge of knowing that our glorification is as good as done we love you father we thank you for your word 
Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Now may they minister to us through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. So the true wisdom is the wisdom of God. It's by the Holy Spirit, and it's for the spiritual. In verse number 13, Paul declares this wisdom was given by the Spirit for the spiritual. He says, which things we also speak. What things? Well, verse 12, the things that we've received. Verse number 10, the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. These things, he says, we also speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So Paul has explained that wisdom is for the mature, and it comes from the Holy Spirit. Now he turns his attention to those who depend upon the teaching of the Spirit in their day-to-day living. Wisdom comes only by dependence on God's Holy Spirit. So those who do not have the Spirit cannot judge the wisdom of those who do have the Spirit. So when we say for the spiritual, that is what we mean tonight. Those who are led by God's Holy Spirit in their day-to-day living. We're going to see tonight that there are those who do not have the Holy Spirit, thus they can't be led by the Spirit. There are those who have the Holy Spirit uh, just in the sense of being saved, but we would call them carnal Christians, meaning they walk in the flesh instead of walking in the Spirit. Hopefully that's not you tonight. If it is, it's a simple thing of repentance. Lord, forgive me for walking in the flesh and not walking in the Spirit, and help me in this next step to walk in the Spirit. And then the next step, and then the, the, the one right after that. And guess what's after that? The next step as well. You guys, even some of you middle schoolers got that. See, you can comprehend the adult sermons on Wednesday nights. Praise the Lord for that. So, Paul's argument reveals that even those that have the Spirit can resist his illumination, thus disqualifying their own judgments. We, we have the word, but if we're not using the ministry of the Holy Spirit to illuminate the word to us, do you think we might be mishandling the word? We would at least run that risk, wouldn't we? So in context, even though the believers in Corinth had the Holy Spirit, he doesn't write to them as uh, foreigners, he writes to them as brothers, so they had the Holy Spirit, still... There were those among them who pursued human wisdom. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas, right? And instead of God's wisdom, so they had no authority to quarrel or divide the church in the way that they were doing. Now, were they doing this thing led by the Spirit? Were they making changes? Were they going about things led by the Spirit? Well, that's a different story. But doing it under the the guise of human wisdom, then they knew they were doing something carnal because it wasn't of the Spirit. This is Paul's argument that he's making in regards to the division in the church in Corinth. And you and I can learn from this. We have the Spirit as believers. So we ask ourselves tonight, are we using Him or are we simply clinging to our human wisdom? And it's very easy, especially if you're an intellectual, like to learn. It's very easy to depend on your own abilities to dig into the Word and to leave off the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I would say to you that are the most intellectual in here and those of you who are the least intellectual in here, all of us should be dependent upon God's Holy Spirit, especially when we go to the Word. Let Him guide you into all truth. He searches all things. Verse 10 says, yes, the deep things of God. So rely upon the Spirit. We take this situation in Corinth and we 
apply it into our homes, into our personal Bible studies, into our church gatherings, into the ministries of our church? Are we being led of God's Holy Spirit? Are we simply relying upon human wisdom? So many things that the church is trying to do that God never intended the church to do because we've just said, well, it seems like a good idea. So many things the church is not doing that I think God intends for us to be doing because we're using that human wisdom instead of getting in his word and letting the Holy Spirit lead us and just doing what the word says for us to do. In John chapter 14, verse number 26, Jesus promised that the time of the ministry of the Holy Spirit would come. He said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever, whatsoever I have said unto you. I think it's clear there from John's Gospel that Jesus intended that God would send the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher. He says he would bring things to our remembrance. The things that Jesus had said to us. Later in John 16, we get more information about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. John 16, 13, Jesus said, How be it when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. Now what is all truth? What specifically is all truth? The Bible. It's absolute truth. What will the Holy Spirit guide us into? The Word of God. Well, how can we test this? Jesus says in John 16, 13, For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. What will be the role of the Holy Spirit? He will be our teacher. He will bring to remembrance what things? The things Jesus said. Will he speak of himself? He will not speak of himself. No, he'll speak what he hears. Where will he hear it from? From God. He'll speak those things and he will show things that are yet to come. Jesus says in verse 14 there of John 16, he shall glorify me. What's a good proof? Is this the spirit of God or is this some other spirit? Well, is it glorifying Christ? If it's glorifying Christ, that is the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus says, For he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. C.K. Barrett writes here, The Spirit thus enables inward apprehension of profound divine truths. The Spirit also provides languages that makes conversation about these truths possible. The Spirit enables our inward comprehension of God's profound truths, and He provides language that makes conversation about these truths possible. Now, this is getting a little more than what the the text gets us into tonight, but it makes me think of eternity. All we have in, in, in this life is what God can give us that our human minds can comprehend and think about. And it's pretty marvelous. Can you imagine what it's going to be like in the next life when we're back in the presence of God? Can you imagine what it was like for Adam and God? They walked together in the garden. How profound those divine truths were. You see, as wonderful as the Holy Spirit's indwelling is for us, I'm still in sinful flesh. That presents presents a limit. So I'm limited. But someday in a new body, Saved by grace in eternity in the presence of God. I will not be limited. You will not be limited. What is it going to be like then? Oh, what a glorious day that will be. The message that Paul and the other apostles spoke 
was not an ordinary message. It was not a natural message. Human wisdom could not find the words to express this message. Well, how did we get it? It came through words taught by the Spirit who expresses spiritual truths in spiritual words. That's what he goes on to say here at the end of verse number 13. Which things we also speak, not the words in which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Another way to say that is interpreting spiritual truths to spiritual men. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Calvin gives good clarification. He says of Paul, he says then that he adapts spiritual things to spiritual in accommodating the words to the subject. That is, he tempers that heavenly wisdom of the Spirit with a simple style of speech and of such a nature as carries its front, in its front the native energy of the Spirit. In the meantime, he reproves others who, by an affected elegance of expression and show of refinement, endeavor to obtain the applause of men as persons who are either devoid of solid truth or by unbecoming ornaments corrupt the spiritual doctrine of God. Amen. This is what Paul is saying here as he says, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. His, his main idea here is evident to us as we read this. The Holy Spirit gives a revelation that is very special and cannot be discerned or communicated through ordinary means. Now, what's a proof for that for us? Well, it's something that he's already said. This true wisdom seems like foolishness to the world. You mean your king would die? Why wouldn't he just live and reign and rule? Why would he die? It just seems foolish. And this is, this is, this is important in our understanding of what God is doing here. He has taken something that's heavenly wisdom. He's given it to us in human form. How? Through the Holy Spirit's ministry of inspiring and revealing the word and then illuminating the word to our human minds so that we might be able to grasp it. And one great clue to that is there will be those who will say, this is foolishness. Or I don't understand. Or I don't see what you get out of that. Well, I hope you're getting something out of the word. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter chapter 1. These are great proof texts for the inspiration of God's word as we think about the Holy Spirit giving a revelation. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You ever wonder, how does the Holy Spirit work in my life? That's a great proof text for that. He moves us along. The, the, the Old Testament talked about the Spirit of God moving across the waters. I think that's a good... Have you ever been out on a lake and you've seen the, the wind blow? And you can just see the wind blow across the waters? You don't really know it's there, but you can tell that it is there because you can see it doing its work. That's the Holy Spirit in our lives for sure. Using the word spiritual here, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, Paul means something or someone that has to do with the Holy Spirit. And that's understandable. Pratt writes, in this passage he pointed out that the Christian gospel 
which he had brought to the Corinthians was from the Holy Spirit and taught by the Holy Spirit alone. It could not be learned or communicated by human wisdom as the Corinthians would have preferred. A unique thing happens all throughout church history when someone decides, I'm just going to investigate this religion. I'm going to get this Christian Bible. I'm going to study about their God. And it always happens this way. Initially, they continue to be agnostic. They continue to be skeptic. They continue to go along. But along the way, as they begin to read about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God pricks their hearts. Their eyes are opened. Their chains are loosed. The Holy Spirit moves in. And then the word becomes real and precious to them. I think John Newton is a great example of that. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace. A wonderful, wonderful thought. The truths revealed by the Holy Spirit are only understood when in harmony with the Holy Spirit. Paul's not making a point here about how true wisdom was received, so much as he's making the point here of who could receive this true wisdom. Those in harmony with the Holy Spirit, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth. It's easy to try to wrap our heads around man's wisdom, or these are nouns and these are verbs and these are adjectives. Now take these sentences that we found and understand them. We're only going to understand a bit of them. You're going to understand the letter of the law, and you're never going to be able to grasp the spirit of the law. Enter the Pharisee. Think of the rich young ruler. He said, good master, what must I do to have eternal life? He felt like he was one who had already earned his eternal life, but he he heard about this guy named Jesus, and he went to them. And Jesus calls him off guard immediately. He says, why do you call me good? There's only one good, and that's God. Now that's the answer to his question. Never miss that in that gospel account of what we call the rich young ruler. How can I inherit eternal life through God the Son? Jesus points that out to him initially, but he wants a bigger answer to that. And Jesus says, okay, don't steal, don't kill, don't cheat, don't lie. And he says, oh, I've done that. So Jesus makes it harder for him. And I think had he stayed around, Jesus would have played that game until he got to the uttermost depth of his inability and said, there's nothing more that I could do. What do you want from me? Where Jesus could have just said, that's just it. (laughs) It's, It's the old song, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Rock of ages cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. But this guy went away frustrated because he was very rich. And Jesus said, okay, here's what you can do next then. If you've kept all the commandments all your life, go sell all you have and follow me. Take up your cross. And he said, oh, I can't do that. Does that mean that's the path that every one of us must take? We've got to go home tonight, put the house on the market, sell the teddy bears, get rid of the guns. Get a can of beans and come on. Is this the idea? No, this is not the idea. The idea was the first thing Jesus said. There's none good but God. Is your hope in keeping the commandments? Is your hope in your things? Or is your hope in God? Paul isn't making the the point here of how this wisdom was received. He's making the point of who could receive it. Well, who can receive it? Those whom the Holy Spirit has opened their eyes Those whom the Holy Spirit has warmed up their cold, dead hearts. He goes on with this in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually 
discerned. Now, I'm going to preach this a little bit differently, but I want to make this point right off the bat. There will always be those semi-attached to the church. They're around. But they never can seem to get in. Did you ever have that kid at the pool when you were a kid growing up? I, I, I lived in town. We had a city pool. And there was always a kid who was there every day just like I'd go down there every day. I'd pay my dollar, ride my bike down there, pay my dollar, get in the pool. I couldn't wait. I'd get there before they opened. I wanted to be the first one through the gate, and I would run. It was hot, 98 degrees in Georgia. It was 98 degrees and 400% humidity. And I couldn't wait to just run out through there and bam, jump in. Didn't have a pool at home. Had a water hose and a sprinkler. But Dad would say, don't run the sprinkler all day. It's way cheaper for me to spend a dollar at the pool than to run the sprinkler in the yard. There was always that one kid that just hung around. They liked to be there, and we had fun together, and we talked. And when they blew the whistle and made us get out, he'd go to the concession stand with us and get a Pepsi and a, a Reese's cup. But he just didn't get in. I never did understand that. Get in the water. It's great. It feels good. It's refreshing. Maybe he couldn't swim. Maybe he's afraid of water. I don't know. Didn't ask. We were kids. We didn't complicate things, right? We're just glad Joe was there. Church is no different. There are always some around that you think, why don't they just get in? What are they waiting for? Or if they're not going to get in, why are they hanging around? Well, they're just on the verge. And the missing element is the Holy Spirit of God taking over their lives. Paul says here, the natural man. Old translations of Scripture. Real early church translations of Scripture. I'm not talking about old English. I'm like old, old. Would say the animal man here. That's how they would translate the Greek word that's there. I don't think that's a good translation. Um, if you look up the Greek word, that's not really a, a literal interpretation there. But it does communicate a good sense of what Paul is saying here. The animal man, you think about that. The, the maniac of Gadara, I would call him an animal man. Tarzan, he'd be an animal man. You get the idea. that The carnal man, the man who lives for this life. The man who lives for the things of the flesh and never for the things of God. The natural man does not receive. Only spiritual people are able to receive spiritual truths. Those without the spirit, we would call them the unregenerate. What must I do to be Saved, I must be born again. What does that mean? It means I'm regenerated. I was dead, but I've been made alive now. So those who have not been made alive, they've ever been quickened by the Holy Spirit, would not and could not receive the message of true wisdom. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Irregardless of any intellectual abilities, irregardless of any of their own uh, even spiritual-sounding accomplishments, they could not on their own Receive the Spirit. Now, what's the doctrine and the theological words that we would attach to, to what we're learning here tonight in that regard? You ain't going to do it, Jack? You're going to sit back there in your Calvinism and be quiet? Total inability. The, the old term for it was total depravity, meaning we are completely depraved. What's a, what's a good just scriptural way of saying that? Dead in your trespasses and sins. This is what Paul is saying here. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Why? Because he's dead. You can, you can come to Sunday school and get the perfect attendance pen. You can never miss a service at church. You can, you can fake it and take the communion. You can be baptized 47 times. I heard a preacher say one time that when he was a kid, 
he got saved over and over again and got baptized so many times that he knew the names of all the tadpoles in the local creek. Have you ever heard that saying? I, I think that's funny. Point being, I can baptize you till you're blue in the face. Baptism won't save you. The Holy Spirit of God moving into your eye, that's what will save you. Vance Havner, who I think probably his doctrine wouldn't be the same as ours, but he's famous for saying colorful things in Christianity. He said this here. He says, the wise Christian wastes no time trying to explain God's program to unregenerate men. It would be casting pearls before swine. He might as well try to describe a sunset to a blind man or discuss nuclear physics with a monument in the city park. The natural man cannot receive such things. One might as well try to catch sunbeams with a fish hook as to lay hold of God's revelation unassisted by the Holy Spirit. Unless one is born of the Spirit and taught by Him, all this is utterly foreign to Him. Being a Ph.D. does not help. For in this realm, that could mean phenomenal dud. <laughs> my, my wife and I, when we were teenagers, ran a bus route in our church. So every Saturday morning, we'd go through the neighbor par- neighborhoods, the trailer parks, the ghettos. We'd knock on the kids' doors. Give them a little handout. Come to church tomorrow. Be here at this time. We'll pick you up. There's always candy involved. But I'll never forget. And we always prayed, Lord, guide us as we go. And Holy Spirit, do a work ahead of us. We weren't just out there to recruit kids to get on the bus. We hoped to find a lost person that needed to be saved. And I'll never forget one Saturday morning, we go to a door. And it was a door where we almost only always saw the children. The parents were never around. Spanish family. The, the kids spoke English. And they'd translate for the parents who spoke Spanish. But that morning, the dad came to the door, and he looked like what you would think of a Mexican immigrant worker, just a hardworking guy, blue jeans, work boots, flannel shirt on in the middle of summertime, leathery skin, the mustache. And I'll never forget seeing his eyes that morning. He had the eyes of a drunk man, glassy, bloodshot. You could tell he'd probably drank all night. He smelled like he'd drink all night. And when he saw us, he knew who we were. And he laid hold of me, and he drug me into the house, and in his own way told me, I need your Jesus. I I thought he was trying to attack me. I thought he was just a crazy drunk man. But he sobered right up. His kid came in there. I shared the gospel with him through his kid. This man cried his eyeballs out and asked Jesus to save his heart. Now, you can, we can go along the hypotheticals till we're blue in the face. Well, this might have happened this way or could have happened that way or whatever. But here's what I do know. I was there. This man needed the Lord, obviously needed the Lord. And God let me share the gospel with him. But the Holy Spirit did the work. And praise the Lord for that. But for you and I, in the spiritual realm, we need to understand, even in a, as Christians, to avoid being carnal Christians that... That when we try to work in human wisdom, see, Paul's not writing to the lost here. He's writing to say, brothers in the faith. And he said, you're acting like the natural man. You're not acting like the spiritual man. You're acting carnal. And the carnal man, the natural man, the animal man, can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. And you're trying to say, we'll pick the wisdom of this world above this foolish preaching that you came to us with initially, Paul. And he writes combating that. I want you to go to Romans 8 with me. Romans 8. We know verse 1. 
There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Very great verse, isn't it? But I want you to not miss the latter phrase there because it is the tense of this particular pericope of verses. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, we love the idea there's no condemnation to us who are in Christ Jesus. But what is the quantifying statement to those who are in Christ Jesus? Who are these people? What are these people that walk not after the flesh, but walk after the Spirit? And now Paul, in the next seven verses, eight verses, is going to lay out a case for what that looks like. And before we get back to verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 2, I want you to understand from Romans 8 what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Are you good there? I'm all right with that. I like that verse. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm free from sin. I'm free from death. How? The Holy Spirit of God. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh. That's true. How many of you are going to drive exactly the speed limit on the way home tonight? Why not? That's the law. Because your flesh is weak. And your flesh is going to be in a hurry. I'm going to preach a little longer. You're going to want ice cream a little more. Your show's already going to be going when you get there. So we've got to speed up and get there. Paul says it's no different in any part of living. What the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. How do I know that I'm saved? How can I be sure of my salvation? How can I daily be knowing that I'm going to be doing God's will? Well, the righteousness of the law is fulfilled in us. How? When we don't walk after the flesh, but we walk after the Spirit. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Are you doing spiritual things or carnal things? Are you obeying the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, a good clue if you're obeying the Holy Spirit or not is are you actually listening to Him? Does He move you like wind across water? Or do you have it set? Do you have it planned out? Are you rigid in your schedule day to day? And this is what I'm going to do. And if God intends me to do something for His glory, it better fit in my schedule. (laughs) Oh, I dare you to try to live that way, walking in the Spirit. Because I'll tell you what God will do. You'll get interrupted all day. You'll get calls you didn't expect. You'll have flat tires. The washing machine will break. Random people will have to come to your house and fix things. And guess what will happen? In all of these instances, you'll be sharing the gospel with people you did not plan to share the gospel with. Or take it even further than that. They may be gospel believers, but they might just need to be encouraged. And God breaks your washing machine to send them into your house so that you can say, ain't the Lord good? And they'll say, here's a guy with a broken washing machine. I'm about to charge him 400 bucks. A new one would only be 275 And he's praising the Lord. Something's different in his life than mine. Are you like that? Are you like, ugh, I can't believe this hunk of junk broke. And I called you here last time, and you promised me it'd never break again, and you're back and it's still broken. Get it right. <laughs> That's walking in the flesh. Not in the spirit. We're minding the temporal things, forsaking the eternal. To be walking in the spirit in this particular analogy is to say, I don't care if it breaks or not. My wife didn't want to fold laundry today anyways. 
The kids are just as happy to wear their dirty clothes one more day than to have to change and get a bath. So it's all right. Oh, it's going to take three weeks for a part? Fine, I'll see you in three weeks. In the meantime, would you be reading the book of James and I'll be reading the book of James? We could talk about it three weeks later when you get back. You are looking at me like, do you really talk to your washing machine repairman that way? No, I'm typically in the flesh and saying, fix the thing. But I shouldn't be this way. Walking in the spirits differently. Verse 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Well, that's not what we've been promised, is it? But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's it. That's what we've been promised. Well, how can I live that life? Stop being carnally minded and be spiritually minded. Now, it's not as if you can will this in your life. The Holy Spirit has to do this work. But here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. He's a perfect gentleman. Do you all ever play this game coming into a building? You're walking in next to somebody and you say, no, after you. And they say, oh, no, after you. And you say, well, well no, after you. Well, one of us has got to go. We can't both be gentlemen, right? Well, this is exactly how the Holy Spirit operates. He's not going to presume upon you. He's not going to nudge himself into your life. He's not going to bump you out of the way. Now, at times, Jonah experienced God in that way a little bit, didn't he? No, I'm not going to Nineveh. Here comes a whale. He says, yes, you are. I'm going to take you over there. Poor old Lazarus. He was just trying to die. They wrapped him up. They put him in the grave. He'd already started stinking. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And it wasn't like he could say, nah, I think I'll stay. Up he arose, right? Poor guy. I hope they got him some perfume. All right. He, he got healed, right? He came back to life. He was fine. But the Holy Spirit operates in your life like a perfect gentleman. He'll, he won't say, whoa! But he might clear his throat at you. <clears throat> Probably shouldn't do that. That's not a holy thought. Maybe you shouldn't take me there. Is this really how we need to be acting in this scenario? You say, oh, good. You're telling me that this new life in Christ, that I've just inherited my mother in my brain for the rest of my life. Oh, if you had a holy mama, praise the Lord, right? It's going to keep you out of hell, and it's going to keep you out of jail. And it's going to try to keep you from failing. I'll alliterate that for you in a good Baptist way. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. I don't want to be the enemy of God. I don't want to be at odds at God. Well, stop operating in your carnal mind. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is, underline that in your verse, none of but I said the prayer. I got baptized. My name is on the church roll. Now this is an outdated reference, but my preacher used to say, your name, your church membership and 35 cents will get you a cup of coffee down at McDonald's. That shows you how out of date it's $2.36 now to get a cup of coffee at McDonald's. But nevertheless, Standing in your garage makes you a car just as much as coming to the church worship service makes you a Christian. What's the difference? The Spirit of God. Now, believers, those who truly believe you're saved, why are you neglecting the ministry of the Spirit of God in your lives? When's the last time you truly prayed to Him and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And then expected an answer from Him in your inside, in your spirit, or through His Word? Or do you just simply go along with life and Wish for the best. Hope for the day. 
Whatever will be, will be. This is not how we are to live. Go back to 1 Corinthians 2. The Corinthian church was doing this. And Paul says to them, The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now let's be clear on Paul's point. His reason for establishing this. Paul laid out this perspective on unbelievers to prepare his Corinthian readers for a point that he was about to make. They had the Spirit in their lives because they were believers, but they still had to evaluate whether or not they depended upon the Spirit. And it's easy for believers to look at unbelievers and make this understanding. They had to reassess their own habit of turning from the Spirit to the false wisdom of the world. Easy for us to do that. Lord, are you sure you want me to give this much to this ministry? I'm not saying I can harp it. I just mean some ministry. You know, that's part of the rainy day fund. Maybe God always wants you to do that, but he might try your faith. He sure did to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you something. I promise I will. And Abraham waited a long time. Finally, God gave him that son. And then God said, hey, you know that son of promise that I gave you? Now I want you to kill him. Now hang on, Lord. You promised me this son. You gave me this son. Yeah, you want me to sacrifice? Yes, to me. Sacrifice him to me. And God didn't have him actually sacrifice his son, but he tried his faith to see if he'd be willing. Do you love God more than you love that promise? Christian, do you love God more than you love the things that God's promised you? A good test would be to see if you're willing to give up some of the things that you think God has promised you. So Paul here has the Corinthians who are, well, let me tell you, Wearsby lays out perfectly the issue with the Corinthian church here. He says the Corinthian Christians were so wrapped up in the miraculous gifts of the Spirit that they were neglecting the basic ministries of the Spirit. That's perfect. Nothing wrong with the miraculous gifts of the Spirit. We just a few Sundays ago prayed for healing for some members of our church. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will miraculously heal them and will do this. But whether he does or not, we still daily walk in the basic ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's way better than the alternative. I'd rather be sick unto death with the Holy Spirit inside of me than perfectly healthy and on my way to hell. So Paul writes here. He says, reassess. Reassess your walking in the Spirit. The natural man cannot receive, verse 14, verse 15, but he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. The natural man cannot receive, but a person possessing the Spirit and guided by him is able to evaluate and apply all things that the Spirit reveals. What things? Verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit such as all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 9, eye has it seen, ear has it heard. It's never entered the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for, him that love, for them that love him. And we said when we got in that verse, yes, that can lead us to think about eternal things. But, but as believers, we're, we've already entered eternity. I know we're living in the now, but you, you've already started your eternal life, you understand. So it's now. What has God prepared for us now? That our eyes haven't seen, our ears haven't heard, has never entered into our heart. Well, these things that the Spirit reveals to us. Because He searches all things, even the deep things of God. So He says, He that is spiritual judgeth, discerneth 
all things, yet he himself is discerned, judged of no man. And certainly we understand that the spiritual can be judged only by God. Check, look at chapter 4, verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges me is Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. So the spiritual man is only judged by God. MacArthur writes here, Obviously, unbelievers are able to recognize Christians' faults and shortcomings, but they're not able to evaluate their true nature as spiritual people who have been transformed into the children of God. They can see your faults, but they can't see God's grace. So we're judged of no man. Hodge says it this way. He says, in regards to yet he himself is judged of no man, he is appreciated by no man who has not the Spirit. This is the case. Those under the Holy Spirit's power are able to make proper judgments that others cannot make. They can see matters rightly. And Calvin notes here, this does not ascribe infallibility to the spiritual man. He says, a man judges aright and with assurance according to whether he is born again and according to the measure of grace bestowed on him and no more. We're going to make mistakes. Boy, let us never get so legalistic that we're expecting sinless perfection out of one another. No, we don't expect sinless perfection. We expect sinful repentance. That is what we're living for. And then we offer forgiveness as God has forgiven us, and we see his grace growing among us. Then we become a hospital for sinners. Then we become rehab for down-and-out saints. Then we become a training ground for the military of the Lord. But if all we can do is stick around in sinless perfectionist legalism, then we're simply going to be Pharisees with our religious garb on, carrying out the rituals and rites that we find here in the scriptures and never helping a soul. But led of the Spirit, it won't be that way. Led of the Spirit, it'll be more. Spurgeon writes an encouraging bit from verses 14 and 15. And if you have a Spurgeon study Bible that we handed out, I I got this right from there. but But I always love how Spurgeon seems to put a real humanistic spin on things in a, in a graspable way. He says here, the Apostle Paul knew of only two classes of people. It does not matter how excellent, how respectable, how intelligent, how instructed they may be, if the Spirit of God has not given to them a new and higher nature than they possess by their, na- their natural birth, Paul put them all down at once in the list of those without the Spirit. On the other hand, all into whom the Spirit of God has come, Paul categorized as spiritual. They may as yet be babes in grace. Their faith may be weak. Their love may be but in its early bud. Perhaps their faults in excess of their virtues. But inasmuch as the root of the matter is in them, and they have passed from death to life, he grouped them into the category of spiritual. Amen. Do you ever feel like your faults outweigh your virtues? I live that life sometimes. Maybe you are a babe in Christ. Maybe you're just getting started in this grace thing. Maybe you're at a time where your faith is truly weak. Maybe you're having trouble with your your love relationships. Well, all of those are things that can be worked on because you're spiritual. Meaning you have the Spirit. 
In verse 16, Paul ends this little section here, quoting from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13, as he says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? And then he goes on to add to that, But we have the mind of Christ. That's a rhetorical question from Isaiah, and then rhetorical again from Paul. Who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Well, Job got an answer to that question, didn't he? God said to Job, Job, were you there when I made this thing? No. We can't instruct the Lord, but we have the mind of Christ. MacDonald says here to ask this question is to answer this question. God cannot be known through the wisdom or the power of men. He is known only as he chooses to make himself known. Those who have the mind of Christ are able to understand the deep truths of God. The Holy Spirit knows the mind of God and reveals it to his people through the teaching of the apostles. And as believers' minds are influenced by the Spirit, they themselves take on the mind of Christ. We think as he thinks. We evaluate life as he evaluates it. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you living a life like Christ would live? Well, then you deserve to be called Christian. Little Christs. And if you're not, you should be. So this is true wisdom. Man's wisdom or God's wisdom, well, there's only one true wisdom, and that's God's wisdom. It is given to us through revelation, which we saw in verses 9 through 12. God revealed previously unknown truths to men by the Holy Spirit. They were made known supernaturally by the Spirit of God. Revelation. And then inspiration in verse 13. In transmitting these truths to others, the apostles and all the other writers of the Bible use the very words which the Holy Spirit taught them to use. Holy men of God, as they were moved along by the Spirit, gave us God's Word. Inspiration. And all of this becomes real to our eyes and to our minds through illumination. That's what the verses we're in tonight are talking about, 14, 15, and 16. The illumination of the Holy Spirit. Not only must these truths be miraculously revealed and miraculously inspired, they can only be understood through the supernatural power of God's Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Spirit that lights up the pages. Yes, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light in my path, but your Holy Spirit is a light to your word to give me that lamp to my feet. And that light to my path. Is that the wisdom you're operating in? Or do you find yourself only operating in the wisdom of men? Let us pray and ask the Lord to help us in that regard. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. Inspired and revealed to us. But Lord, in this particular passage tonight, we thank you for your spirit that illuminates your word to us. And that will lead us daily. That will teach us, that will convict us. Lord, help us to be in this relationship with your Spirit, listening and speaking, led of, moved by. Oh, Father, help us to be submissive to your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit, who is the earnest of our inheritance. Yes, someday we'll be with you face to face. But until then, you've given us your Holy Spirit as that down payment, as that seal. Oh, Father, help us not to neglect him. Forgive us. Help us tonight to leave here walking in the Spirit, sensitive, listening, ever on the alert. Lord, what would you have me to do? Help us to be full of the Spirit when we open your word to read it. That it might not just be a chore, but that it would actually be feeding 
Help us to come to worship filled with your spirit that we might worship you in the spirit, not in the flesh. Help us to live denying the lusts of our flesh that we might continue walking in the spirit. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the teaching in your word. I ask your blessing upon it now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Good night. Hope you don't get blown away on the way home. I hear the rumbles, so you might want to drive above the speed limit and get there in a hurry.